So, and the other thing I really love about the fountain too is I think a lot of my grandmother's humor comes out. You know, we have, there's a naked couple inside of Victorian here in this window that you can really only see if you have a flashlight. Um, there's, a, you'll see up, up on the top, there's a, there's a naked couple sunbathing in, uh, in Golden Gate Park here with their shoes kicked off on a towel. Were they, uh, were they inspired by someone? That looks a little, little like Jerry Garcia there. That does, that does. You know, I, I'd have to fact check that one, but um, I think there was all kinds of different inspiration for each and every part of, of the fountain. Total SF is running with that. I'm calling that Jerry Garcia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Heather Knight. You just heard Henry Waverka, grandson of artist Ruth Asawa, giving us a tour of Asawa's San Francisco fountain Maybe my favorite piece of public art ever? Yeah, I'd never looked that closely at it. It's the fountain by the Apple Store near Union Square. And I've walked past there a million times, but it never stopped to look very closely. It is just filled with San Francisco destinations, landmarks, people. If Total SF adopts a fountain, I think it should be this one. Asawa's profile only growing, her wire sculpture work is on a stamp now, but San Franciscans have a different relationship. We have immediate access to her public art, including her two highest profile fountains, one in Ghirardelli Square and the Union Square one we're talking about today. And we're celebrating an anniversary. Yes, um, she dedicated her San Francisco fountain 50 years ago this Valentine's Day. So her family came to us and said, why don't we do a 50-year retrospective on this amazing, extremely San Francisco fountain? And we had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, I'm so glad we did it. We were joined by Tony Bravo, our third co-host today. Which is good because he's the only one of us who knows anything about art. Very true. Uh, He's also a Ruth Asawa School of the Arts alum, and we walked together from the Chronicle to Union Square, nearly got run over by a historic streetcar (laughs) on Market because you had to stop and photograph it. Yes, you guys started talking about sci-fi and I got bored, and then I saw an F car and I was like, hold on, we've got to stop for a photo. Uh, I think it would be the most on-brand way for us to die if we're run over by a historic streetcar <laughs> on Market Street, but I'd like it to be when we're much, much older. Yes. Uh, so I think we should be careful crossing streets. You can shoot the historic streetcars from the sidewalk. <laughs> you don't think shooting dead on is, is the best move? It may be the best photo, but it's not the best mood for the long-term success of the Total SF podcast. <laughs> Then we got up to Union Square and met Henry and his uncle, Paul Lanier, who's the youngest of Asawa's six children, and they were the best tour guides for this fountain. Yes, they'd already picked out little tidbits on the fountain they thought we would like. Of course, they showed us the cable cars and the muni buses. 50-year-old fountain, are are you still discovering new things? Absolutely, and you know... (laughs) Each and every time, and I think my family uh, members all feel the same way as well. And we just showed up a couple minutes before you all, and we're taking a look. And, you know, Paul, who worked on the fountain, uh, made Juan Marichal um, down here on the bottom left. This oh, he's got the high leg kick. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I, I would Willie expect no, I would expect nothing less from Paul, yeah. Wait, Willie Mays is sliding here, too? Yeah, see number 24 there, Willie Mays. 
So the fountain is on Stockton Street between Post and Sutter. You could easily spend hours just looking at all the little details, and that's what we're encouraging you to do. Between now and Valentine's Day, head to the fountain, take a selfie, and then take a second photo of your favorite little detail of the fountain. You could choose between Coit Tower, Muni Buses, the um, Dragon any number of things, post them on Twitter or your favorite social media and tag us, and we will um, be sending out some Total SF t-shirts. We don't have any mediums, by the way. <laughs> We're hoping to get some mediums soon. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope people go out there and check it out. Uh, g- give yourself some time. There's so many cool things to see on this fountain. And you can go to ruthasawa.com to see what's new. Faces of Ruth Asawa, an exhibition of her masks, are on longtime view at the Cantor Arts Center at Stanford University. And listen to this episode. We learned so much from Henry about his grandmother. I'm Peter Hartlop here with Heather Knight, looking both ways before crossing Market Street always. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Henry Waverka, welcome to Total SF. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a beautiful day in San Francisco, and we are excited to be talking to you outside the aptly named San Francisco Fountain, created by Ruth Asawa, your grandmother, 50 years ago, and dedicated on Valentine's Day. Um, Total SF doesn't yet have an official fountain, but I'm thinking if we do adopt one, it should be this. It's kind of a (laughs) no-brainer. Sounds good to me. So there's everything from Coit Tower to City Hall to the cable car turnaround to the Lunar New Year Dragon. Do you have a favorite piece of the fountain? Are you always finding new things? Uh, I definitely am always finding new things, uh, as I did right before you arrived this morning. Um, One of my favorite things has to be uh, the front gate of my grandparents' house. Um, Also included in that scene is the wedding cake from my aunt and uncle's wedding uh, with the little figurines on top of the cake. Um, It's just one of the kind of fun little quirky biographic uh, aspects of the fountain that my grandmother um, included and I think our family all gets a a kick out of today. How many kids and grandkids does she still have in San Francisco? Uh, She had six children. Uh, One, my uncle Adam passed away in 2003. Uh, There are five siblings who are all married and um, 10 grandchildren and I believe last I checked I think there's 37 of us in the same neighborhood if you count the next generation so uh, yeah anytime you go get a sandwich you're always running to a family member what neighborhood is is that in Noe Valley yeah that's where your grandmother lived yeah very very close yeah so before we dig in give us the quick bio of Ruth Asawa for listeners who may not be aware of who she was she was definitely under recognized in her lifetime, but it seems like there's been a big swell of interest lately, including even U.S. postage stamps with her art. So who was she and why is her art kind of catching fire now? Yeah, um, so Ruth was born in 1926 in Norwalk, California, um, Southern California, just outside of L.A., and um, grew up on a truck farm. And my great-grandparents, you know, they worked long hours, early morning to late at night, and expected Ruth and her six siblings to help on the farm uh, before and after school and on the weekends. Um, After the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December 41, uh, she was interned 
along with 120,000 other Japanese Americans uh, living on the West Coast. Uh, first at Santa Anita and then in Rower, Arkansas. Um, so she was interned for about 18 months from like April, April 42 until September 43 and then got a scholarship uh, to go to an art school at Milwaukee State Teachers College. Um, and so she left as a 16-year-old girl uh, in wartime America as a Japanese-American young woman. Um, went to Milwaukee, studied there for three years, and then was told she couldn't receive her degree because of anti-Japanese sentiment. Um, but kind of the silver lining there was that she was, it was recommended to her by friends that she travel uh, to Black Mountain College in North Carolina where she studied with Joseph Albers and really just got put on this path of that she wouldn't otherwise have been on um, had, had you know Pearl Harbor not been bombed and had she not been interned. Um, she moved to San Francisco in 1949 where my grandfather uh, who was an architect Albert Lanier was already living um, and then she had uh, children in 1952, uh, 56, 58, and 59 so she had six children in a period of nine years and uh, in what, what I think is the most prolific um, decade of her career in terms of her art making. Um, and then once her children got into public schools, I think she um, quickly learned that um, there was a need for better art education. So she really kind of um, stepped back from the gallery world and kind of the New York art scene um, that she'd, where she'd exhibited a couple times in the 50s and focused a lot of her energy on arts education and advocacy. Um, and uh, in 1968, she started the Alvarado Arts Workshop, and that's actually where she first started working with Baker's Clay, which is what was used to uh, you know, sculpt the fountain mm -hmm. behind me. Cool. So let's talk about the Baker's Clay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that is such an accessible material. It mm -hmm. is something that's in most classrooms, most art classrooms at least. And let's talk about the involvement of children. I can't help but think about uh, Ruth's biography and growing up in a farm family. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, that early childhood of working, the idea that um, your family would be involved in what you do was important in the creation of this fountain? Absolutely. And, and I think, and I know actually um, from interviews with Ruth that, you know, part of the reason she was so interested in Baker's clay is because it was a safe material for her six children to use. Um, so by the time she started working with this, uh, let's see, my my eldest aunt would be kind of teenage years, maybe 14, uh, but Paul was five. So mm -hmm. it was a good, it was easy, it was cheap, which was very important because, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were really scraping by at that time um, on my grandfather's income as an architect. Um, so yeah, I think I think it. She saw Baker's Clay as an opportunity to include so many people that didn't necessarily have an artistic background, uh, but could really work with a material that everyone could relate to in in the dough. And talk to me about how this fountain was commissioned. Do you know the genesis of the project? Uh, yeah. So Charles Bassett, who was a uh, architect for Skidmore, Owens, and Merrill, commissioned Asawa to do the work. Uh, he had actually seen Asawa's work that she had done at the Alvarado School Arts Workshop, uh, which she had founded just a, a year prior, and thought it would be a really good material to work with for this fountain, and kind of really liked the playfulness of it. Um, and so 
uh, got a proposal from my grandmother and it was accepted shortly thereafter and she got to work um, starting in 1970. I, I almost think of it now looking back it's almost a, a historical record of San Francisco uh, in you know the early 1970s um, post you know the summer of love it just seems like it was such an amazing place to be for a working artist like her okay it's post summer of love enough by the way that we have nude sunbathers and I believe <laughs> a little bit of an indelicate view through a window uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of um, a couple having their own summer of love I'll just put it to you that way <laughs> absolutely and again I you know I think that kind of really speaks to Ruth's humor and these little biographic elements of the piece that kind of just like tell her story uh, in, in different ways. Okay, and for the Muni files, can we just talk about the number of buses and cable cars and Muni associated landmarks? And the cable car turnaround. Yeah, pretty I love, impressive. I love the cable car turnaround. Uh, Lombard Street, I think, is especially well done. Um, right on the top, you can see it zigzagging right on the front of the piece. It's really I cool. like how things just kind of jut out unexpectedly, like City Hall just right. comes out of the top of the fountain and the Palace of Fine Arts is like going right at you in mm -hmm. a 3D way. I also I also love how Ruth chose to include some of her other public commissions. The Andrea Fountain at Ghirardelli Square is on there. Um, some of the plane trees that inspired some of her later paintings are also included on there. So yeah, it's really cool. A lot of fun stuff. And the see. family actually, it was a family effort. Like Ruth's children, the children from Alvarado were all a part of this construction. That to me, I think is one of the most moving parts of the narrative of the whole work. Right, and in and, and the summer that she was really sculpting this out of Play-Doh, uh, my great-grandmother Haru was living with them, and uh, we have all these really amazing photos of her sitting there making little birds and little trees and stuff like that. Um, my Aunt Aiko also, I know she did San Francisco City Hall. We have great photos of that as well, so yeah. Really and um, this actually ties into the fact that there is an exhibition at Ruth's Table that is exploring the legacy of the Asawa Linear family. Uh, Ruth's Table Generation, the roots of making the Asawa Linear family. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about who that features? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it features, uh, there's a Tidewire sculpture by my grandmother as well as one of her tamarind prints. Uh, also paintings and collages by my aunt Aiko Kunio, the amazing Paul Lanier um, with a, a few paintings in there. Um, also my cousin Lily, if, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the most impressive pieces I've seen. Uh, it's an origami portrait of Asawa uh, based on an actual photo by Imogen Cunningham, which is really exceptional. Okay, uh, there are two of those, by the two, way. That's two true. different origami portraits of Ruth by her. Got me there, yeah. Incredible. And, and, the, and the other one, the blue one, is also based on a, um, a portrait of Asawa that was taken while she was studying at Black Mountain. And then kind of the star of the show is my... Um, my cousin Lily's daughter, Lucia, who has a couple paintings as well. So yeah, four generations all in one place. It's really incredible. Keeping that tradition going. Yeah. Well, I, I was looking around the archive trying to find out what the Chronicle said about the fountain when it came out. Chronicle was pretty positive. Sometimes I'll, we get things wrong, by the way, but this one we got right. <laughs> okay. often get things wrong. It's come across on this podcast. We were against the cable cars. Against the Transamerica Pyramid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We were for, though, the fountain. Alfred Frankenstein, that was our, our <laughs> art critic Quite at the, the time. Yep. We don't need to laugh every time we say Alfred Frankenstein. <laughs> that was his byline. You know. certainly got me on that one. This is his lead in his story, um, raving about the fountain. Recipe for building a fountain. Four cups flour, one cup salt, one and one half cups water. Stir until dough is of even consistency. Bake in a hot oven, 450 degrees, until hard. Remove from oven and cast in bronze. 
This is the recipe Ruth Asawa followed in creating the fountain on the Hyatt House Plaza at Post and Stockton Streets. The fountain everybody in town has stopped to look at and is talking about. It will be dedicated in ceremonies scheduled to take place today at 11 a.m. It's St. Valentine's Day, and the fountain is a valentine to San Francisco, if there ever was one. Wow. He nailed it. Yeah, that's incredible. He nailed it. Very positive review. Yeah. The Chronicle was pretty positive, but Ruth Asawa's work had its critics. Sure. Uh, Andrea's Fountain and Ghirardelli criticized Definitely, for its yeah. use of a model who had just given birth and was nursing. I don't think anybody's tripping on that now. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, definitely with regards to our individual work as well, which was often referred to as, as craft or, you know, she wasn't considered an artist. She was considered a housewife or uh, the wife of Albert Lanier. Um, Do you think that would have been the case if she'd been a man creating the same things? Um, you know, I can't really, I, I, I mean, I, based on my what I know about the, the art world, I think uh, we probably wouldn't, I think she probably would have been recognized a little bit earlier on for sure. Um, but you know, I think what's really beautiful and amazing about Ruth was that she put her head down and she really believed, and I think this goes back to her childhood, she, she believed in hard work and she frankly, I don't think she really cared. You know, she said that over and over and over again, I don't, I don't care if it's artwork, I don't necessarily care, you know, about the critics. Uh, she was more interested in the process, you know, and um, for instance, for getting back to this work, she was just interested in finding a way to bring hundreds of people together with different backgrounds in the arts, um, you know, work together with them to create something that's, that was unique and could really be owned by all, by all. We'll be right back after this short break. So the fountain was here for 40 years. Um, I'm, certainly people who've lived here knew about it. Then Apple moves here. Mm -hmm. It gets in the news. The Chronicle certainly covered it. What, yep. what was it like from the family's perspective, hearing that Apple was moving in here? And there was a period where we thought there were no plans for this fountain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was just uh, kind of talking about this on the way down. Um, you know, the, when I first heard that, I the, my first thought was, that, well, I'm going to go sit in the fountain and make sure that they can't remove <laughs> it because, um, you know, that was so distressing. But um, you know, I think the Chronicle did a great, great job of covering that in the first place and kind of bringing the publicity to, to you know, Apple's plans. And I'm just really happy that, um, you know, when all is said and done, the, the fountain remains and continues to be seen. I think we should shout out John King, who, John King, who yeah, definitely absolutely. was aware of that and, and understood the significance when I think a lot of people didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you think that controversy and the resolution to some degree maybe made people kind of reinvest their senses in this wonderful piece of art. Do you think more people are talking about it and know about it now? Uh, I think it, it definitely did. And I also think that it also brought, um, you know, more attention to my grandmother's other public commissions um, here in the, around the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, which has been really amazing to see. Um, you know, the Assemblyman Phil Ting got a, secured a $5 million grant to get the origami fountains in Buchanan Mall uh, up and running again, so we look forward to that. Um, we're also working with San Francisco State University on the Garden of Remembrance, and so um, a lot of good things going on there. And then also the uh, history of Sonoma County, County Fountain in um, Santa Rosa is being cast into bronze, um, and hopefully will be, um, you know, unveiled here in the next couple years. So, I mean, 
I don't want to say it's, I know it's a cliche that all any publicity is good or bad publicity is good publicity or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I think it also just reminded people of how beloved my grandmother was as an artist here in San Francisco and everything she did for the community. And and I think it was nice to see that. I, I have a question about fountains. Um, I think of fountains. I think of Ruth Asawa. Was she kind of typecast into that? Was like she made one and then they wanted her to make another, or did she have a love of fountains and that was something she wanted? Well, to and do? she got the nickname for a while, the Fountain the Lady. The Fountain Lady, and you know, and and we'd go visit. I remember going, you know, to uh, Ghirardelli Square on field trips, and on the one hand, you know, back in the um, in the early '90s, and all the sculpture is now gone, you know, and you know, many some of which you can see at the de young or or at different public institutions but you know we'd walk into my grandmother's house and there'd be this just forest of loop wire sculpture which is what she's most known for but for me as a kid i was always so proud of my grandma the fountain lady right because <laughs> you know my, we'd go to Ghirardelli square and i'd be sitting there bragging like well you know she has one on the embarcadero and she has one in japantown so i mean for me it up until recently, I kind of knew my grandmother as the fountain lady as well, in all honesty. Did your friends when you were growing up know about her, or did you educate them? Yeah, they did, and you know, uh, a lot of my friends also grew up in the neighborhood, and um, like one of my best friends and I did art camp with Ruth, that's something that, that she would do, and, and really invite people over to on, you know, collaborate on little certain projects, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned before, she was a major advocate for public schools, and yep. Um, a few years before she died, the School of the Arts was renamed um, the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts. Some people still haven't caught on to calling it that. Mm. But um, what did I'm that an <laughs> alumni, and I insist that you call it Ruth Asawa. Thank you very much. I do yes. too. <laughs> yep, yep. Thank you. What did that mean to her to have her name emblazoned on this famous art school? Well, you know, I think I think it was such a tremendous accomplishment to get that founded in 1982, and and. I mean, there's been so many amazing artists that continue to come out of the school, and I, I think that was so important for her. Um, in terms of in terms of being named after, obviously, it was a tremendous honor both for her and for our family, and it's it's so nice to know that, you know, the school is going to bear her name. Mm -hmm. yeah. Henry, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was a student there uh, between 1998 and 2002, it was still at the Font Street campus mm -hmm. where your grandmother was so uh, key in the maintenance of those gardens. Mm -hmm. um, the school was laid out around like a series of courtyards mm -hmm. and we, we knew, but we kind of didn't know that it was the great Ruth Asawa that was out there sometimes mm -hmm. in her hat uh, taking care of, you know, the, the different cuttings or, or clearing out of beds. Mm -hmm. It's kind of extraordinary to think back on that, that we were so close mm -hmm. uh, to greatness. And she was also laying out the uh, San Francisco State Garden of Remembrance, I think, around that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was um, dedicated in 2002. So, yeah, it would have been about that time. Um, you know, nature was such an important part of my grandmother's life, starting, you know, with her background growing up on a farm. But they have a, her and my grandfather created a beautiful uh, backyard in Noe Valley. And, um, you know, a lot of the floral drawings that she did over the years were actually cut right out of her backyard. And, you know, I have very, very fond memories of spending time with my grandmother, just like you said, weeding. She taught me how to weed with both hands, you know, <laughs> it, very head down hard work and then sit back and enjoy it. Do you think do you think Willie Brown's doing the gardening at his school? <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So I have to ask about just the last decade. Um, this is your beloved grandmother. What has the experience been like seeing her go from being locally very recognized to being now internationally famous? Uh, as you said, she didn't do a lot of self-promotion during her lifetime, mm -hmm. and uh, 
now it feels like the rest of the world is catching up to Ruth Asawa. There's been international exhibitions, including uh, many presented by the David Zwerner Gallery. Mm -hmm. There was the, um, the presentation at the Venice Biennale of her work this past year. There have been uh, at least two books, including Marilyn Chase's biography of Ruth. Mm-hmm. What is it like for you now sharing Ruth with an even bigger audience? Um, you know, it's 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 really incredible for me. Like, I get emotional talking about it just because, you know, we kind of have this saying. It's like we talk about Ruth's work as once seen but never forgotten because I think it's so unique. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, and I think she's the most amazing artist to ever live. But, um, yeah, it it's... Our relationship with David Warner has been amazing. You know, just we feel so honored to be getting these proposals from these really, really amazing institutions around the world. And, you know, get to get an article in the New York Times or whatever it is, it's just been really, really amazing to see. So speaking of, of all of those aspects, I feel like the family in recent years has really uh, become evangelical about kind of explaining Ruth's practice. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the audio tour that debuted, I think it was two years ago, that is a guide to many of the places in the Bay Area where her art is available free to the public. Um, yeah, so, you know, because Asawa's public commissions and public artwork is such a tremendously important part of her artistic practice, um, we launched a public audio tour that's available for free at ruthasawa.com. Um, and in it, you can hear stories told by, you know, my Aunt Iko, my Uncle Paul, my mother Addie, Uncle Xavier, uh, Uncle Hudson, just about what it was like to be, you know, growing up with Asawa as their mother, as a working artist in the home, and, and working on these public commissions. Um, so some of, the, some of the works included are obviously here the San Francisco Fountain, um, the, uh, you know, the Aurora Fountain that's on the Embarcadero, um, and probably, I would say Asawa's probably most uh, visited piece, which is the Andrea Fountain in Ghirardelli Square. Um, but I think why we did it we thought it was really important to share these stories um and also it's been really really amazing for our archives just to have these hours and hours of conversations uh with those who are really close to her um for instance you know peter coyote was able to share some stories with us uh he and ruth were very very close so it's really really amazing to have that footage as i'm sure you all know (laughs) in terms of local uh representation just this past summer in 2022, the Cantor Art Center at Stanford University unveiled a major piece of Ruth's work that I think is really different than what people generally associate with her practice. Mm-hmm. People know the wire sculptures, people certainly know the, the bronzes and the public works. Can you talk a little bit about the faces of Ruth Asawa, which is part of the Asian American Art Initiative that the museum has launched in the past year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that is probably my my most favorite um, Asawa creation, and I'm, I'm so happy it's going to be on view. Um, the Cantor's been amazing. Elisa Pitchermar and Alexander's been really, really amazing to work with, um, and we're so excited that Veronica Roberts is the new director. Um, but I think that also kind of like this work, you know, Ruth brought in a lot of people from different walks of life. Um, you know, some people who might have just stopped by her house and she might have said, hey, you have a very interesting face. Would you mind if I cast your face? And they would sit down and get their face cast there. And then uh, my grandmother would tack it up on the outside of her house. And um, if you haven't been to see it, it's it's really amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me so much of this project, actually, because of the democracy and, again, because of the hand-touched, uh, face-touched quality in the case of the masks. Well, you already told us your favorite pieces of the fountain, but I thought we could go around the three of us and say which 
little depiction of San Francisco is our favorite. So, Tony, you are the artiste. What's your favorite? Um, wow, that is that is a hard decision. I will say I love the way uh, City Hall protrudes from the talk, uh, from from the top of it. Uh, that's uh, a piece that Ico worked on. Mm-hmm. I actually have a photo of her sculpting it. Yeah. I, I will say my one complaint about it is is that you can't quite get to it because it's on the side that's not totally accessible unless you're seven feet tall. <laughs> right. But I think that's part of what's so enticing about it is that it you see the silhouette of it at the top of the fountain and it's just a little tantalizingly out of reach. Mm-hmm. You Maybe not your favorite though, Heather, given the amount of time you've spent there over the years. I do not like this. I mean, I like the city hall, but it's not my favorite. People say like, if you got married again, would you get married at city hall? Of course not. Of course not. I wouldn't get married at one of the museums at this point. You could see like a member of the board of supervisors at your wedding. That would be weird. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> no, my favorite, of course, is the public transit, the muni buses and the cable cars. I did not see a historic F car, but I'm going to keep looking. Yeah, you might find one. <laughs> I, I loved seeing Juan Marichal there with his high leg kick. Like, I love sports and I love art. You don't really frequently see the two intersecting, and I just thought that was great to see that. Um, I can't wait to look in that Victorian window. Mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't make me, uh, I don't know. A peeping Tom. A peeping Tom, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Sweet. That's great. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. <laughs> Loved it. I've missed that so much.